Welcome to Impacting Jamaica, where we shine the spotlight on the many but often ignored positive happenings, activities, projects and investments at every level across every sector to inspire, motivate and excite people everywhere. Impacting Jamaica is powered by the Philip and Christine Gore Family Foundation, the Jamaica Public Service Company, Manpower and Maintenance Services Limited, Red Stripe, Caramed and Proven Investments Limited. Welcome to Impacting Jamaica, Boost in the Nation, a special podcast series that aims to celebrate and identify the work of Jamaicans and friends of Jamaica in the diaspora. I'm your host, Sinai Flary, and on this episode, I'm joined by a very special guest. She's been the MP for Brent Central since 2015, and in 2020, she was named one of the most influential women in the UK by Vogue magazine. I'm so delighted to be joined by Miss Dawn Butler. How are you? Hey, Sinai. I'm good, thank you. Not too bad. Just a uh... Came back from a primary school uh, in my constituency. Um, amazing, always great to start the morning with kids. Just fills you with energy. Yeah, absolutely. Now Dawn, listen, I know you're so busy and I wanna say thank you for taking time out to speak to us. For people listening, like introduce yourself in your own words and tell us who you are and what you do. Oh, I'm Dawn Butler. I'm a member of parliament for Brent Central and a former government minister. I've started to introduce that into my title now because I was a former government minister and um, I was also the first uh, black female uh, Labour government minister in this country, uh, in the Houses of Commons. And I've realised, as we've spoken about sort of Black Lives Matter, I've realised that actually we need to be proud of what we've done, where we've come from. You know, there'll be people who are saying you're showing off or whatever, but actually we're not showing off. We are just showing what we've done and what we've overcome. And so I sort of wear what I've done with pride. Absolutely. And, and too right, you should. You're such a role model and inspiration for so many people here in the UK. Let's go back to your early days. Um, you was born in East London to Jamaican parents. Um, and of course, this, this series is about um, celebrating Jamaicans and friends of Jamaica. Tell us about your early days and what it was like growing up in, in this Caribbean household. It was a large Caribbean household. You're one of six children. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So what was it like? Um, there's certain things that are really common amongst all Jamaican households. That is um, sort of a paraffin heater. Um, the, the picture frames all the same because you know, there's only one place that black people could go to get their pictures framed. So we all have the same sort of picture frames. Uh, crochet, you know, because my mum used to crochet. So you got the little doilies kind of over the chair at the side of the chair. So there's all of that. And then uh, there's the, the Jamaican household. So, you know, you have your Saturday soup, mm -hmm. you have your rice and peas and chicken on a Sunday, you know, on a Wednesday, I think, and then on a Monday, it's sort of leftovers. You spice it up a little bit. You might make a little fried, fried rice. You know, you have the sort of same food every day of the week. And then there's the discipline. Go read your book, you mm -hmm. know. What you're doing, go read your book. You're bored, go read your book. Everything's go read your book. So it's all of that business. Um, there's a the discipline of the of the licks uh, that, uh, you know, my dad actually only ever hit me once. My mum was a disciplinarian. 
although she completely denies it now. She doesn't remember it at all. It's just they, funny. They always you, do that. <laughs> always, always. And then it almost feels insensitive to sort of have an argument and remind them that, you know, but you used to beat me. But, um, but you know, but there's the discipline. Um, I grew up with uh, four brothers. But the thing about, uh, and, the thing, and there's the aunties, the aunties and the uncles, you know, there's people when I was a grown adult before I realized I wasn't a blood relative of some people that I called auntie and uncle, you know, I was a grown adult. So there's that kind of discipline and there's a kind of respect. But the thing about that respect is, you know, that kind of respect and shame in a way uh, is a good thing in that you don't want to bring shame on your family. So there's certain things you wouldn't do because you don't want to bring shame on your family. I mean, there's, you know, some things are crazy, like, you know, we weren't allowed to eat uh, takeaways on the street because that was given the impression that you got no food at home. You know, there's a thing called scandal bag where, you know, you can't carry anything in a see-through bag. So, you know, so there's all of that stuff that just permeates your mind that, that you're, you know, that you're told as a, as a youngster. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said, there is some sort of basic groundings in that that kind of disciplines you. There's there's knowing um, the struggle of my parents. You know, my parents taught me resilience. You know, for them, it was a matter of survival. You know, they they survived the racists because they survived it for us, for, for their kids. You know, my, my dad told me a story as how the doctor tried to kill my brothers, you know, gave them the wrong medication. He had to rush them to the hospital. You know, my mum the other day told me as we were walking down the road, she told me how on, on this corner, she said, on this corner, every morning when she would be walking my brothers to school, on this corner, the woman would let her dog loose and the dog would be barking and barking. And then one day, I think my mum said, um, I think she bought a baseball bat with her or something. I can't. And, uh, and she said she was ready for the woman. You know, and then from then the woman stopped, stopped that. So you know, there's the struggle that that my parents went through and we would never know that struggle because they didn't, they didn't, um, they didn't like portray that struggle on us. You know, for them, it was about love, survival, go read your book, family relationship. You know, I grew up with my four brothers and my sister left the house when I was eight years old. And I basically grew up with my four brothers and like I got a younger brother. So I basically looked after him. And, but it was all about family love. Everything was about making sure that we looked after each other as a family. And yeah, it was a real Jamaican way. And you know, you call everybody by different names. That's another thing Jamaica do. They have a drop a bit of a name or or they call them a different, cause you look look like a, you look like a Donald. You know, (laughs) you look look like a Danny or you look look like a John, you know, even if their name's not John. Um, And yeah, and then there's just lots of jokes. I mean, my dad was full of jokes. I mean, he was a man that, I remember, um, I remember somebody coming, a parent coming to the door because my brother was taking the mick out of his son's hair and was telling him to go and comb his hair because his hair looked so bad. And the, the parent came to the door to tell my dad and to let him know that it, you know, it wasn't appropriate and everything. And, and I remember my dad telling him to, to wait there. You know, I mean, my dad, you know, would, tell tell my brothers often that but you know my dad told the guy to wait there and we're all hiding behind the door wondering what's going to happen he went upstairs and he took a comb and he came down and he gave the man a comb you know to comb his head. 
yeah oh my god so yeah it was yeah it growing up in a Jamaican household um yeah it was a it was a, a mixture of um emotions and and feelings but the overwhelming uh emotion is love thank you so much for sharing all those family memories and I'm sure people listening will will be able to relate to so many of those stories how how do you think you know growing up in that household with the parents that you have how did that shape you and mold you to sort of want to pursue a career in politics I suppose I never really wanted to pursue a career in politics um it wasn't something that um I I sort of set out to do but my dad was hugely influential in terms of he would be the um the trade union person at work although he wasn't uh the official trade union rep because they weren't really allowing black people to be official trade union reps back in the day but that was his job he was always looking after somebody he was always fighting somebody's corner he was always uh you know he would give somebody his last penny you know, that was who my dad was. Um, and I remember uh, when um, he was working in the bakery around the corner that he later went on to buy, it was essentially a soup kitchen before I even knew what that was. You know, people would come and if they were hungry, my dad would give them food, you know, he would give them whatever cakes we had left, he would give them, he would make them a cup of tea, you know, and he would send them on his way. So nobody went hungry. and it was that instilled in me a sense of community and a sense of community belonging and a sense of doing good in the community and my dad never answered anything back in return but yeah I, I think his view was you know you just give out positivity positive vibes goodness and it will come back to you so it was never a matter of sort of being paid or even telling anyone he didn't tell anybody what he did he would just do it mm. so that just instilled that in me and, and that was always my way. I didn't, I didn't know any other way. That's all I knew. And everything my dad did, I did. You know, if he was under a bonnet of a car, I was under a bonnet of a car. If he was painting, I was painting. So, you know, I did everything. I did, I could do everything. You know what I mean? I could do absolutely everything. But that was all I knew. So I was always a fighter for justice um, and equal rights and unfairness. I mean, my mum the other day, told the story of how I think when I was five or six when I um, called out a teacher at school for um, telling off a pupil who who she was telling off the wrong pupil and you know again they came to tell the family what I had done and like my mum and dad was like but was she right you know she she may have been wrong in how she approached it but was she right you know and I was right and so yeah I I always that was that's all I ever that's all I've ever known yeah it should be sort of selfless really yeah absolutely and we've seen displays of that throughout your career as an MP you know always you know speaking up for people the underprivileged the underrepresented and I think that's why you're such a huge inspiration to so many especially in Black Britain um is there a secret or like a time-saving technique you you could share with us that helps you focus on the priority for the day because we know MPs are so busy you've got to look after your constituents you, you know you're here there and everywhere but how do you focus on what's most important tell us some of your secrets to running a smooth Miss Dawn Butler day <laughs> I don't know if any of my days are ever smooth to be honest 
and uh and I can't say that you know I I always kind of get it right I juggle a lot and I and I tend to often squeeze too much in the day and um and I forget to take a moment to appreciate what we've just achieved sometime because I'm just on to the next thing and I'm trying to do better this year um but I suppose my secret is um is to pick your battles which is something that I was told um when I was younger when I was a trade union official to pick your battles otherwise you're going to exhaust yourself um or have a to-do list don't be scared of your to-do list it's supposed to be long you're never supposed to finish it you know you're always supposed to add to it have a to-do list cross off the things that you've done it feels good when you've done something so have a to-do list um and uh I try and prioritize sort of three things that I want to achieve I try and prioritize that I like to see things through I like to be organized I mean I get a real kick when I'm super organized and everything goes well and I've thought of everything that might happen that gives me a real kick I'm kind of a bit anal like that uh I'm on time I'm a timely person I like to be on time I don't like to be late um and I think that also stems back from always wanting to break stereotypes yeah. you know where people always saying black people's time and all of that you know I hate that so I like to break stereotypes so I, I like to do things like that um I have a theme song I have more than one theme song I have a number of theme songs uh meditation deep breathing deep breathing is fantastic sometimes you just need to take a deep breath mm. and also um uh silence like don't be scared like sometimes people think they have to say something or you know they've they've got to continue you know if you need to take a moment even if you're in, in the middle of something you need to take a moment take that moment take a deep breath and just quietly reset and start again give yourself that it is fine you know it, it's something that we need to master it, it's you know it's amazing like just taking that moment is amazing to reset and I think we need to master that a lot more um yeah and then when we finish at the end I'll I'll I'll, I'll tell you my theme tune one of my theme tunes oh okay awesome well I was gonna ask you about all like music tastes and all of that at the end <laughs> so, oh, um so you said meditation and writing like to-do lists are key is there like one particular daily habit that you feel contributes most to your success that you just cannot do like a day without doing this one thing um I think affirmations so saying something positive start your day with something positive mm -hmm. you know say something positive to yourself to start that day and like I'm also my my harshest critique so I will critique myself harder than anybody else so nobody can tell me anything about what I've done uh, that I haven't told myself mm. so um so be your own you know be your own critique you know that and don't take on board if somebody's being negative towards you um don't take it on board unless you want to you know you don't have to take on somebody else's negativity you don't have to do it don't take it on if you don't want to so you know I'm my own worst critic so somebody can say to me that was a rubbish speech if I think it's a good speech, I don't really care what they think, you know, because it's it's up to me. So, you know, they didn't write my speech, they didn't deliver my speech. Um, understand that 
you know, as a as a black woman, I was always told that I have to be twice as good just to get recognized. Mm -hmm. And so that is I used to think I used to be upset about that in terms of well, why, you know, why do we have to? Why can't it just be fair? You know, why can't we just do a good job and people recognize that that's a good job? Why is this? bias in terms of what makes a good employee or what makes a good piece of work when you know you've done a good bit of work you know somebody else steals your work they'll get credit for it get promoted you do it it's just okay fine or if you do something good it's like well of course what do you expect you know you know often we don't get the credit for what we do and so it used to really bug me and then the penny kind of dropped and when you walk into a room especially a room that's hostile and you know it's going to be hostile and, and I want people to kind of remember this is that, you know, you've had to work twice as hard to get there. Right. So instead of feeling when people think you have to justify your your space, you know, in that room, hold your head up and understand that you're already twice as good as the majority of people in that room because you've had to be just to get into that room. So don't let anybody make you feel small in your space because you are already twice as good as them. So we have to remember that. We have to not see it as a burden on our shoulders anymore because we've made it. So now we've made it, we have to wear it because you know our crown has already been paid for. And that's a powerful message that Maya Angelou you know, said, you know, your crown has already been paid for. So when we walk into that room and when they're trying to put us down, when they're trying to belittle us, we need to remember, we need to stand up and just straighten our crown and just say, mm -hmm, I'm already twice as good as you. What you're feeling right now is intimidated by my greatness. Your problem, not mine. And now a word from our sponsors. Searching for a one-stop solution to all your facilities maintenance needs? Visit Manpower Maintenance Services Sales and Distribution Center. We stock a wide range of COVID-19 washroom cleaning and other supplies, gardening tools, chemicals, and more. Our experts are always ready to give you the best advice. Manpower Maintenance Services Sales and Distribution Center, 14 Collins Green Avenue, Kingston, Freeport Commercial Center, Montego Bay, and 33 Ward Avenue, Mandeville. Visit or call us today, 876-920-47215. Welcome back. Wow, a word. I hope everyone <laughs> listening is, is taking that in. I really, really feel that message. And it's it's so powerful coming from you, especially because you're so visible and you know, you're so active on social media. And to hear you say about how you deal with um, you know, negative comments and stuff is, is so important because often we don't realize how these things can impact and affect people. How do you deal with navigate in social media I know particular particularly for yourself and for um oh Diane Abbott it's been particularly nasty and racist I mean how do you navigate social media when there are so many horrible people out there with 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 their mobile phones hiding behind social media just to say horrible things to you yeah so I tend not to scroll mm -hmm. I kind of post and run okay um, which can be sad sometimes because I'm you know there's some nice comments on there and I kind of miss the nice comments as well. Um, but yeah, I tend to kind of post and just run. Uh, and I report if, if there are sort of um, aggressive or abusive or threatening messages, which there often are, people threatening to kill me and, you know, all kinds of things. 
um, I, I will report them. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish in a way, you know, the law kind of protects them because sometimes you can't say who they are or expose them like you'd want to. Uh, but there have been people that have been arrested and imprisoned and they've got cautions and we just have to keep doing more of that. But yeah, it's completely unacceptable. Um, I don't accept it. I don't like it. Uh, but the reason why they're doing it is to silence me. And so um, I won't let them win, basically. They're never going to silence me. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, listen, there's a whole corner of Twitter that is always like, listen, leave Auntie Dawn alone, leave <laughs> Auntie Diane alone. <laughs> and that is what, when I see that, like, it's just like, um, it's like the event, the Avengers, we just assemble. We're like, what's ha- who, who's troubling our aunties? It's not happening. So that And is we appreciate that. that. Trust me, we appreciate that a yeah. lot. It's oh. a lot. Lovely. Okay, let's let's speak now about challenging times because we're on that topic, but I won't dwell on it for too long. Is there one particular memory that now serves as like an important lesson for you where you perhaps you went through a difficult time, but you always look back on that and say, you know what, I got through that so I can do this now. And now a word from our sponsors. A toast only works if it's shared with others, even when we're miles apart. So let's cheer each other on. Cheers to the best in life. Drink and live responsibly. A message from Red Stripe, part of the Heineken Company. Welcome back. Oh, there's a number of them. Um, you know, losing isn't isn't is a is a tough feeling. Yeah, don't like to lose at all. So I so I say I don't lose, I learn. So I either win or I learn. I, you know, I, I don't lose, I learn. And so um the first time when I stood uh to be a candidate to be an MP. Uh, I didn't win and if I'm honest with you I can't say my heart was fully in it because I didn't really know what I was getting into you know people wanted me to do it but it it kind of I chose to do it in the end but I wasn't sure because nobody likes politicians and you know everybody criticizes politicians and to be honest it wasn't a politician like me you know there was there was only one black MP at the time Diane um but you know she went to Cambridge she's a lot posher you know talked a lot posher than than me I'm like from East London so uh it didn't feel like it was an accessible place for somebody like me but then after standing um and losing I realized that oh actually I could do this um I could be the MP that I want to be and um and and actually I can I, I can do this and so I took the lessons from that and applied it next time, you know, and then I took the lessons from that and applied it next time. And then I got it right. And then I won. And yeah, so you, you always apply the lessons that, that, that you learn in life, I think. And, and you, you learn more from the journey often than you do from the outcome. What's been like the best advice you've been given by a mentor? Picking your battles was one of them um having good people around you having good people around you who have your back uh no matter what um having really intelligent people around you have people around you that know more than you do because then you learn more if you're always having if you're always the most intelligent one in the room you're not going to learn anything you know and if you want to progress in life you have to learn so surround yourself with people who are more intelligent than you and never be afraid of that and 
and I would say as I've gotten older um understanding that you know we mustn't dim our light too often we we do we dim our light because you know we're worried about other people and how they're going to be and and you know you don't want to embarrass them you know embarrass them it's fine you know it's fine they'll get over it you know stop dimming your light so yeah I I kind of embracing that and it's it's lovely it's liberating and also um hair 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 like a uh Angela Davis I suppose like hair is a political journey for me too um I remember I remember I wanted to I wanted to locks up from from when I was about 16 years old and my parents were completely against it Jamaicans you know Jamaican parents don't really like Rastafarians you know and I had I sat down with my mum and dad and I said to them you know you do know that they conditioned you not to like Rastafarians because Rastafarians were the freedom fighters and if it wasn't for them we wouldn't be free and actually it was a conditioning so that you wouldn't you wouldn't um appreciate sort of you know the powerful people who who we needed to survive so we had this long conversation debate anyway in the end um you know my mum let me relax my hair and so I I relaxed my hair instead which was like a big thing relaxing your hair uh and um and then I remember watching uh Malcolm X and there was a scene in Malcolm X where the guy relaxed his hair and it was burning him and he put his head down the toilet and he was flushing the toilet and he said to stop the burning and I was laughing and laughing and laughing and then I thought hang on a minute why do we do this to ourselves why do we relax our hair do you know what I mean all that patting of the head when it's burning too a bit too much all of this stuff then if we can let it last a little bit longer and I thought why are we doing this to ourselves why are we hurting ourselves what for and I stopped relaxing my hair from then and I went natural for about, you know, for a good 20 years or so until I, until I locked up. And locking up was the best thing that I ever did and it's extremely liberating. So I would recommend that to everybody. Locks up. <laughs> you look beautiful. You look beautiful with your locks. I mean, what, what did your parents say when you decided to locks up? Well, um, weirdly enough, I mean, because my my dad, I think, wouldn't have minded, uh, but I mean, he he passed. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mum didn't talk to me for um, twenty four hours, and there was only me and her in the house, and uh, she didn't talk to me for twenty four hours. It was like it was hilarious, really. Uh, but yeah, she didn't talk to me. But now she tells me when it needs redoing. So you know <laughs> she's warming to it slightly oh yeah she loves it she yeah. loves it now but you know that that yeah she's got over it yeah and it's funny like my niece is now locked my sister-in-law's locked um so yeah I mean I think it's great um you know as someone who's always had locks uh, I don't really remember seeing hardly anyone on tv with locks I think the only person in the UK was Benjamin Zephaniah um mm or if they had flashes of Bob Marley videos or something like that. And then I don't think I saw a woman with locks on TV until maybe Lauren Hill came out, but then of course, and then she um, sort of came off the music scene, but then seeing you like, you know, in the houses of parliament talking or on, on, on the news, you, you feel seen. 
I feel seen by seeing what you're doing and it does sort of inspire you and give you a sense of um, what is possible so thank you for being your authentic self and, and deciding to say you know what I'm going to lock and I'm going to be an MP and I'm going to still be my fabulous self like it really does mean a lot. Oh thank you I'm, I'm I, it means a lot to know that you know it's it's appreciated and it has that effect on people so thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before you go, I know you're so busy. Let's go back to, you were telling me about your soundtrack. You was going to tell me one of your songs. Oh, yeah. So, um, and, and I say, and I kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm known for, for talking about this one uh, because I want people to understand the words of it and to like, to, to kind of understand how powerful it is. And it's um, Labi Sifri, mm -hmm. um, something inside so strong. And the words are, um, the higher they build their barriers, the taller we become. The farther they take our rights away, the faster we will run. They can deny us. They can choose to turn their face away, no matter, because there's something inside so strong. The more they refuse to hear our voice, the louder we will sing. The hide behind walls of Jericho, their lies will come tumbling. They squander wealth that's mine, deny my place in time. Our light will shine so brightly, it will blind them. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, when they insist we're just not good enough, look them in the eyes and say, we're gonna do it anyway. We're gonna do it anyway. We're gonna do it anyway, because there's something inside so strong. I know that we can make it, though they're doing us wrong so wrong. They thought that our pride was gone. Oh no, there's something inside so strong. And that's my theme song. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Um, it's, it's such a powerful song, but I think hearing you say it in this interview, it's, it's even more poignant now, especially in this time, I think, you know, the last 18 months with the pandemic and, and Black Lives Matter as well, sort of going back and re-listening to these songs really does give us a sense of comfort. Absolutely. It is, it is the soundtrack to our lives and our liberation. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, something we should revisit and embrace and understand. That's how we understand the struggle and also um, the fact that we are the hopes and dreams of the slaves. And, you know, it's, it's for us to, to ensure that we empower ourselves and make it happen. And I think together we will do that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, it's called Impact in Jamaica. I know you have to go. Last message, um, what do you love most about being somebody of Jamaican heritage and what are you most proud of? I love the fact that we're little but we're Talawa. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's 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 nothing that we can do. Yeah, there's nothing we can't do. Like Jamaicans are just um, you know, the the ability to the ability to make something out of nothing, you know, and to make it uh to make it relevant and fashionable and you know to think that no matter where you go whatever country you go to 
there will be somewhere where you'll find a little piece of Jamaica where people are listening to reggae music or, you know, they're, they're talking about jerk chicken, you know, or they're dancing, you know, no matter what. And you just think we're such a, we're a small number of people, but the impact that we've made is phenomenal. And actually, we need to monetize that impact of Jamaica to make sure we build Jamaica to how powerful it should be. So, you know, I love it. I love the people. I love the vibe. I love the energy. I love the smell. You know, when you go to Jamaica, it's just the smell. I love the smell of Jamaica. So, yeah, I just, yeah, I can't wait to go back. It's been a while, so I just can't wait to go back. But, yeah, if, I mean, it's, there's a certain pride, pride and, and proudness that goes with, you know, like big up your chest, you know, there's a certain pride that goes with Jamaica where, yeah, it's, I just love it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right. But, you know, we can be show offs as well, you know, it's uh, because it's, it's, you know, look at Usain Bolt. Do you know I mean? It was the fastest man in the world, but he did it with such style and everybody copies his move. He's like, yeah, man. And you just think, how who beat that out of us literally you know it was taken away from us and we need to go back to that you know we need to go back to picking up our chest we need to go back to understanding you know that we're great you know don't let they 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 took it from us because they were jealous from of us because they couldn't achieve what we were achieving don't don't let them take it from us so embrace it fitting way to end this stunning interview I tell you this has been a highlight of my year (laughs) (laughs) Miss Dawn Butler thank you so much for speaking to me and for sharing so much of your life and those important and powerful words I hope they resonate with our listeners and inspire a whole new generation of MPs and politicians that are coming up thank you so much I hope so thank you Impact in Jamaica is powered by the Philip and Christine Gore Family Foundation Manpower and Maintenance Services Limited, the Jamaica Public Service Company, Red Stripe, Kyramed, and Proven Investments Limited. If you or anyone you know is involved with projects and activities that excite, motivate, and encourage, send us an email to impactingjamaica at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Do join us again for another in the series on Google Podcast, Audible, Spotify, Podcast Addict and Stitcher. You can also visit us at impactingjamaica.com.